Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls and Scott and I are here again just talking, uh, just thinking about the old days, thinking about how we grew up. And if you're listening to this episode and you grew up in a religious home, stick around because we're going to talk about how that might have fucked you up (laughs) because (laughs) we both grew up in environments where there was a lot of religion and it was painted in some ways as being this secret sauce for how all of your problems would be solved if you simply stuck to the program. And unfortunately, as I just demonstrated, I did not stick to the program because I like to drop four-letter words on a podcast. And I'm very glad you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where we are today, guys. We're going to be talking about rigidity. We're going to be talking about what, what does it feel like to be raised in an environment where your voice is not heard because you have to follow the rules. And there's the right way to do things. And because I said so, and if you don't, there will be punishment. So, Scott, I know probably as I'm talking about this stuff, there's stuff coming up for you, even in your body, as you listen to what we're talking about today. Uh, Where do you want to take this? What feels uh, the most relevant thing to begin with in this conversation about rigidity? Well, I just, uh, what's coming up in my body is that breakfast burrito that I ate that's not sitting well. <laughs> well, can't always trust I'm those gonna, feelings, right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe maybe set this conversation about rigidity in the broader context of, you know, our, our friend Jay Stringer wrote a book called Unwanted, and uh, it's a very powerful um kind of a framework for understanding where does our unwanted sexual behavior come from? And he, you know, basically introduces the idea that if you know somebody's pornography habits and kind of what their sexual turn-ons are, you can go back and trace that back to their family system or vice versa. You can kind of predict based on somebody's family system, what they're going to be caught up in, in, in terms of sexual struggles. And that was a really eye-opening set of research, you know, that he, he based his book Unwanted in the course that we lead, you know, or we've led um, off of those really key findings there. And so the family systems that create a lot of sexual struggles are rigid, disengaged, rigid, disengaged, and enmeshing. We've, we've talked, we talked about enmeshing in our last episode and the mommy issues, um, we, I don't know if we've talked about disengaged or not, but we're going to talk about, Oh, rig- we're getting there, brother. I promise you it's on the docket. <laughs> it's we're it's gonna, on the we're docket. Gonna we're going to talk about rigidity today. So what is rigidity? Um, it's basically a home where there's lots of rules and regulations and there's not a lot of relational connection and warmth. And so, um, when I think about this kind of my family system is both a combination of rigidity and disengagement at times. And the, the rigidity was really driven by my father in a lot of cases because he ruled the roost. So I grew up in the sixties and seventies. My dad is the typical, you know, kind of Don Draper and madman, you know, the, the business executive who did what he wanted. And he ruled at home with an iron fist at times if, if we didn't do what he wanted. And so, um, now, now this triggered a story. I was mowing the backyard in Kansas City when I was 14, and 
I couldn't get the lawnmower to shut off. And so I went and reached to the spark plug and tried to pull the spark plug cover off and it shocked me. And so I, I was just shocked and I stepped back and I kicked the lawnmower. And I'm like, fuck you. And my dad hears from inside and comes out and goes, what did you say? You're never going to say those things in my house and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, you know, there was just in that moment, there was no, hey, what's going on, buddy? Like there was no concern for my safety or what might have happened that may have done that. It was just, here's the rules and I don't give a shit what you've done you know, what you've experienced, this is how we're going to operate in this family. That's rigidity. Yes. And, and for me, it was kind of the opposite. You know, my mom was a very anxious woman and she was the one who was home. My dad was a workaholic and was always gone as he was in the ministry at the time. And so when he would come up, he was the fun guy. He was the guy who would have all the fun and play. And maybe he'd be a disciplinarian when my mom made him. But after they divorced, when I was nine, it was even doubly on her. So in her mind, she didn't have time to say anything more than once. And if she said it once and you didn't do it, hop to it, there was punishment to be had. And there was a lot of spanking. And uh, that's this is a great area for us guys. There's some research done on discipline that shows how unhealthy it can be. And so we, uh, coming from the backgrounds that we came from, we're kind of in a neutral position. We see some benefits and we see some, some downsides from tra trauma. So we're not gonna go there in this episode. But for me, I can tell you there were some times when I got punished and I got spanked and it really, that weight of rigidity um, fell down on me and, and made me move into a place of shame. What, what was good about me? Because I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't do the chores right. I couldn't do the homework right. I couldn't show up and be there for her as, you know, her quasi husband, even though she wasn't calling me that, but I was the man of the house in a sense. And so I had to do these responsibilities. And when I didn't do them, then that definitely, you know, moved over into more punishment. And so there was a lot of this experience in my body, in my childhood of getting things right. And that's just the home life. On top of that, Scott, I went to church hmm. and I went to church for a long time. Uh, I'm what you call a cradle Christian. If you've never so heard that. Did you go on before. Wednesday nights? Brother, let me tell you, I went on Sunday mornings and I went on Sunday nights and I had Bible study on Monday nights and I went to leadership group on Tuesday nights and then I went on Wednesday nights and then we had fellowship on Friday nights and we do retreats. So basically I lived at a church. You got uh, Bible from, tattooed on your ass is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, thank God. No. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I've, I've definitely got it tattooed on my soul. I've got that rigidity of of church. And, and I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. And in my own experience, both the combination of insecure parenting and a very moralistic religious experience has harmed kids because I would hear things, uh, in a sermon that I would take personally, like there's something wrong with me. And I, a lot of times I didn't have a context of how to put that in. You know, if you disobey your parents, you're going to hell. Okay. I'm 11 years old. Is that true? Is that not true? I just, I've yelled at my mother that week. So how does that land in my body in a, in a way that I can process it? So, you know, there's so much in this that really makes me curious because even as I'm unpacking it and from the dynamics of spiritual abuse to the dynamics of moralism, to the dynamics of a disengaged parent, all those things are in the stew, in the gumbo, as we say on the Gulf Coast. And I don't know what to make sense of it. Yeah.
And I think a lot of it goes back to even how children were raised in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You know, that that old saying, children should be seen and not heard, is right. the motto of the rigid family. And, and so the parents rule the roost. Your desires don't matter. Your needs are going to be met in a basic kind of way. But your emotional mm-hmm. needs, what, what, what do you mean emotional needs? You don't have any emotional needs. Right. You don't express your emotions other than happy. That's it. Yes. That's happy it. is loud. Happy is commanded by God. <laughs> but <laughs> you're not going to be angry with us. You're not going to be angry. You're not going to be sad. You're not going to be moping. You're not going to be shameful. You know, oh, you can feel shame too. You can feel yeah. happy and shame. <laughs> yeah. Basically, but, you're basically you're a puppy dog. You can get you can yeah. I, you can I can show up and I can you I'll play with you or you can sit in the corner and sulk. But one of those two things, everything or, in between. Or I will rub your nose in your own mess. Yes, right. <laughs> so, so I think um, in that kind of a system, you know what what does that do to desire? So if you go back to we all come into this world looking for somebody looking for us. And what we're looking for is that sense of being delighted in being seen, feeling safe, being soothed, you know, so that we have this sense of I'm the apple of somebody's eye. And when you grow up in a very rigid family system, you have rigid religional, you know, dynamics at play there. You don't feel delighted in, you feel like you've got a duty, right? And everything is about duty. Everything is about, I've just got to do this and I've got to do that. And I've got chores and I've got a chore chart and I've got to check all these things off. And what does that do to us in terms of how we develop? We develop a lot of perfectionism. Yeah. A lot of performance. Let's let's go back. Let's go back even, even, even younger than that, even earlier than that. And you mentioned desire, you know, what does that do to us when it comes to understanding who we are and what our role is in life? Well, I think it trains you to be a robot, right? You are, you are just to kind of take these inputs that we give you and spit out the right results. And so it kind of causes a fracturing of the personality so that you develop this good boy self and then your desires go underground and they're going to come out sideways because you've never been taught how to steward your desire. Well, you've never been taught to honor your desire with containment. You've just been taught to suppress your desire. And the other thing that's really dangerous about a rigid family system is what happens when you have a desire, when you want something as a child really badly and you don't get it, what do you do? What happens in your body? Mm. You feel emotion. Yeah. But what do you do with that? I can't feel emotion. I'm supposed to be a puppy dog. I'm supposed to be happy or ashamed. So there's this, there's this pool, there's this soup of things that I don't know what to do with, where do they go? Yeah. And, and so if you, you've got a really rigid parenting system, you're not allowed to have any emotions about your desires being stuffed down. You just have to follow and swallow and follow, I would say. Okay. And so that it's not only the, the shaming and the suppression of desires that becomes a problem. It's the shaming and the suppression of n- developmentally normal emotional responses to that, that really create this system of, I'm going underground with what I want. So, and you use the word uh, suppress, you use the word underground, you use the word um, not dealing with emotion. So what are we talking about? What is it that 
is the dynamic that is created in rigidity that makes it especially conducive for people to struggle with sexual compulsive behavior. Well, it, it allows me to present kind of this false self to my parents and my religious system while inside I can maintain what my authenticity is. So we've talked about this dynamic. We all exist on the spectrum between wanting attachment, wanting to belong, wanting to be seen, soothed, secure, safe, and wanting to have my own individuated desires and longings fulfilled and to have my emotions about all of that. So a child is always going to make a choice in favor of attachment over their authentic desires and emotions because they can't exist on their own. An eight-year-old boy can't go out and survive in the wild, right? So what I'm going to do is then I'm going to become two people. I'm going to fracture at that point, and I'm going to become the parent, the person that my parents want me to be when I'm being seen by them, which is who this feels very it. It feels like that I'm attaching there. I'm staying connected to the family. I'm doing the. I'm playing the game of rigidity on the outside, and and that's that's the mask. That's the facade that I wear. But but on the inside, I'm going to be the wild man that I want to be right? Mm. Because my desires have never been seen, they've never been mm. honored, and they've, I've never been taught to steward them. So mm. let's take sexuality, for, for example. So here's how rigidity could show up really badly in a family system. Let's say at 11 years old, 12 years old, you've never been given any instructions about sexuality other than don't do it. It's bad. It will get you in trouble. So nobody teaches you that your penis gets hard. Nobody teaches you that when you touch your penis, it feels really good. If you keep doing that, you're going to have something called an orgasm and you're going to get semen out of your, <laughs> you're just left in the dark about that. And you discover that on your own, which is pretty much about 90% of the guys that you and I work with, right? Come from these very rigid, maybe disengaged family systems where there was no education about sexuality except from a pathological standpoint. So sexuality is pathologized, it's bad, it's evil, purity yeah. culture kind of dynamic. It's put in that rigid box of, yep. okay, we'll talk about sex, but we'll talk about sex in the don'ts. Yep. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and if you do, you're going to hell or you're a bad person. And then everything else about healthy sexuality, okay, you know what? It's having an erection is not a bad thing. You know, having a, a nocturnal emission is, is, is not a bad thing. You're going to look at somebody and have desire for them. And that's not a bad thing. Those are the things in our lives that we or, really need. Or even soaping your body up in the shower and suddenly your penis gets hard and it feels really good. Not a bad thing. You're exploring no. how your body works. But if you're not given kind of that framework to understand what your desire is all about, and then maybe some containment around that, you're going to discover that on your own and you're going to go like, holy crap, this is amazing, right? But I can't tell anybody. But I can't, can't tell, tell anybody. anybody. And why have they been hiding this from me? Right. <laughs> this is like a superpower. Yeah. And so you're going to go to that in a very secretive way because it feels so overwhelmingly good. And what is, what is all that downward pressure on your desires and your emotions do? Does that feel good or does that feel really unpleasant in the body? I mean, for me, it, it just felt like um, a weight that I had to bear by myself. And it kind of increased my own shame because these are the things that I was told don't do, don't do, don't do. And yet in doing them, I feel alive. 
Um, I, I, I love this line from Breaking Bad, right? If you've ever watched the TV show Breaking Bad, is that through the whole series, he talks about how he's doing this for his family. He's doing all these horrible things that he knows are wrong. He's doing this for his family. And in the very last episode, spoiler alert, he said, I, I did it for me. I did it because it made me feel alive. And that is kind of the story. Like when he said that, I was like, yes, somebody said it out loud. That's the story of my uh, double life, my secret life and sexual struggle is because nobody invited me to a safe place to talk about all these things uh, around sexuality and relationships and intimacy and my body and all those things that I really wanted to um, know and experience. Nobody invited that when I was growing up or even when I was a young adult. Yeah. So, wow. I'm just feeling the heaviness of all that because you've got all these guys, little boys, and they're exploring their bodies and they're figuring out how sexuality works in this complete absence of healthy information. Mm -hmm. And the only information they're getting from their parents and probably the church is, this is bad. Don't do it. This will get you in a lot of trouble. And oh, by the way, when you get married, everything's going to work like magic, which is also a lie. Totally. There, there is no such thing as a break in rigidity when you've been raised that way. It, it's either it, it, so. I'm going to introduce a concept, and many of our listeners will know this. It's a binary way of thinking. It's either one thing or the other. The reality is, if we look at um, the Bible, if we look at uh, science, if we look at life itself, it's not binary. It's held in tension. So is, can sex be a harmful thing? Absolutely it can be. Can sex be a beautiful thing? Yes. The beauty and the um, healthiness of sexuality is held in tension between containing, I'm not going to go to the harmful places and I'm not going to worship it. I'm not going to overindulge in it. I mean, because some people think, oh, I'll just get married and have sex 10 times a day. Guess what? If you tried to have sex 10 times a day, number one, your partner would probably not uh, oblige. And number two, your dick would fall off. It's just, yeah, it's you're going to have a hard time walking eventually. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. So, I mean, that's the idea of it's like, it's off, it's off, it's off, it's off. And now I get in a relationship. It's on. Oh, wait, this yeah. didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. Yeah. So I like to look at it in, in terms of these three C's. Like we, yeah. we tend to want, want to manage our lives either with a lot of contempt Right. Mm -hmm. And containment, contemptuous Mm -hmm. containment, I would call it, where where desire and emotions are vilified. They're seen as evil. They're seen as, you know, perverted. Your your heart is evil. Your heart is corrupt. And then the other side of things would be condone. That's the culture. The culture at large is like, hey, whatever you want to do, just it's a free for all. It's like a golden buffet, you know, just eat all you want with whoever you want, whenever you want. There are no limits to your sexuality. And I think the approach is both compassionate uh, welcome and containment at the same time. It's that tension you're talking about. And you don't hear that message in a lot of places. You hear in the church and in our family systems that are really rigid, a lot of the contemptuous containment. And in the culture, you hear this condoning of just whatever, you know, anything goes. And nobody's getting the a proper understanding of how to, you know, I can I can have desire, I can welcome the goodness of my body and sexuality, I can appreciate beauty, but I also don't have to become consumptive in it. I don't have to treat other people like objects. I don't have to treat myself like an object. I can learn to steward all of this desire and this emotion well. 
But if I'm never engaged with that as a child, I don't learn how to steward anything. I just learn, I fracture myself into good Scott and dark Scott. And dark Scott likes sex and likes to do it whenever he wants, wherever he wants. And good Scott, not sexual at all. Right. 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 <laughs> no. Very pious. Almost, almost popely. You know, you're like, oh, you're yeah. like the pontiff. Brother, I have never had an <laughs> orgasm in my life. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I think it's, it's, uh, we laugh about this because we've both been subject to this. Oh, it's brutal, brutal craziness, you know, and the way that my emotions were dealt with and my desires were dealt with in my family was my dad would crush them. If I, if I rose up and I expressed my emotions, it was boom. And so I learned to become really secretive about what I wanted. I learned to become really rebellious underneath the veneer of acting like a good boy, because that's the terms that I had to abide by to stay connected. And so, you know, what does that do? If it's, it's really interesting. I just read some research yesterday on this that was done um, by a Christian research group. And, you know, there's been a big controversy in the last couple of weeks about, well, Alistair Begg, who's a pretty well-known Christian minister, wrote a, a post on should you attend, if you have a family member that is getting married to a, a same-sex person, should you attend the wedding? And he said yes. And Alistair Begg is a very conservative reform guy, and this has created a firestorm. But this good, research... Good. Was, so excited. <laughs> Go, Alistair. Fuck you the shit up. Let's go. Fuck it up. Fuck it up. <laughs> that, that's what he was doing. But here was the interesting research. And um, parents that attended a same-sex, a child's same-sex wedding, in something like three years, 30% of those children had come back to Christianity. Parents that didn't attend most of those kids just continued on doing what they were doing. Well, well, we haven't even got into the formation. We talked a little bit uh, in our um, gay porn episode, but there's a whole weight of evidence that shows the most impactful relationships to children is the fatherly relationship. And when you have a disengaged father who, who, who has rules, you're not doing it my way, blah, blah, blah. I'm not coming to you. You're not this why would you not continue in the same path that you're already in? Because that's been the story of your life, as opposed to when a father says, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I wasn't there for you. Maybe I need to be for you in a place that's very humbling for me and really against what I believe, but I'm going to love you anyways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you don't, in the church, for the most part, you don't hear that message that, listen, if you're struggling sexually, God's turning towards you. He's not turning away from you. All you hear is that message that God's disgusted with you. He's going to throw you into the lake of fire. He's turning away from you. And that is not the message of the gospel. That is the message of the Pharisees, frankly. That's the message of the law. And Jesus is the one that—this is what gets Jesus killed— is he's this iconoclast that comes out and opposes the old religious system by saying things like, hey, this young boy who went to the whorehouse and wasted all of his money on hookers, when he comes back, the father's welcoming him. And that's in Luke 15. That's called the prodigal son, but it's really about the good father 
That's even what better. That's he's not just welcoming him. He's looking for him. He's running toward He's him. running to him before he's, the boy is even coming home with the right motives. He's celebrating him. And I think what, what we're talking about here, the, the antithesis of rigidity is a containment that is safe, a containment that is compassionate and curious, and also that is not spiritually abusive. And when I say spiritually abusive, let me give you a 30-second um, description of what that is. It's any individual or system that uses fear and shame to control the desires of the people in that group. So when you say, like you say, you have to do it my way or else, when there's that uh, do it because I said so mentality, when it's obey or go to hell, the reality is in that rigidity, it's very binary. It's I'm going to be, I'm going to be not myself because there's a lot of complexity to who I am. There's stuff going on in my life that I don't know how to make sense of, and you're not willing to listen. You can't sit with me in this. So I'm either going to lose that part of myself and sell myself away and have a dark side, or I'm just not going to be in this system anymore, which is frankly what the reason that a lot of people leave the faith uh, in our generations. Or they may not leave the faith on the outside, but they leave it on the inside. They maintain that dark side of them in a very secretive way, and they're acting out on the DL, right? Um, What's that, Scott? What's the DL? The down low, which is... (laughs) Very prominent in the evangelical South and in the black church by, by and large, where guys are having sex with other guys, but they're not gay. They're not. No, not not gay. gay. But, but, and and it's all very secretive and it's all very on the down low. It's hidden because you can be down low and be straight. You can be down low at massage parlors or down low with prostitutes or down low uh, with neighbors, wives. You can be down low with whoever. And there's been enough scandals of church leaders actually doing that, that we know, right? Like, that's a cliche by now, right? So we know that that's happening a lot. Why is that happening in these very religious systems? And it's not like it's not happening in politics either. It happens there too. But it happens in these places where power is tried to use, power is used to dominate and manipulate other people. That can be a family system. It can be a church system. It can be a government system. Any kind of system that tries to bend you to its will is going to be a rigid system. And it's not helping you deal with your desire. So, you know, the biblical message is we're all complex. We all want things that we shouldn't want. And some of our wants are really good, beautiful, and true. We need to learn to separate the good from the the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Well, let me let me tweak that a little bit. We need to love the broken and the beautiful. We need to we need to learn how to it's not necessarily loving is accepting because loving can also be disciplining. It's made it very clear, correcting and and moving in a different direction, but without love, man, without a a, a willingness to welcome in somebody that's different than us or something that's different than what I think should be and that's that word for me is a trigger word because whenever I hear should, I hear shame. I hear this underlying circumstance of there's something out there that somebody told me this is the way life needs to be, and I need to follow it. I should do it. So why is it that it's so hard for parents, Scott, to see the brokenness and the beauty of their kids and contain it and love that instead of setting up a bunch of rules? In a word, the parents haven't dealt with their own story. Ooh, bam. Welcome to Parenting 101, gentlemen, or ladies, if you're listening. If you want to be a good parent, say it again, Scott. 
you better engage your own story and find out where rigidity is being used in your own heart to manage your desires and your emotions. Because I guarantee you're using it on yourself before you're taking it to your children. And it was used on you growing up. So start to be curious about why is it that when my child rises up with their emotions or anger or fear or uh, why or do lock I try themselves to use... in their room or, yeah. you know, put themselves, uh, <laughs> se segregate themselves because they don't feel accepted or loved. Honest, uh, you know, honest, honesty time here. My, my granddaughter and I got in an argument last night. She was yelling at me and I was yelling back at her, but she was yelling at me because she didn't see, she didn't feel seen. Mm -hmm. And I was yelling at her because kids are not supposed to yell at you. That's how I was trained. Mm -hmm. you, you don't yell at your father. You don't express your anger. And I finally, I finally just stopped and said, I'm glad you're angry at me. Mm. Thank you. You're mm. helping, you're helping me see my own flaws and I don't want you to feel like I don't care about you. Welcome to non rigidity. Thank you for modeling that Scott. Yeah. I don't do it perfectly. <laughs> well, neither do I, but what I'm saying is that that's, that's part of the gift of doing story work is not only do we get to heal from our own uh, sexual compulsions and our dark side, is we also have the experience of being able to pass on a different experience for our children and grandchildren. And if you're listening to this and you think that well, it's too late to do story work, my kids are grown, bullshit. Because there's never too late of a time for a parent to tell the truth about how they experience life growing up and to communicate that with the people that follow them that they're leaving a legacy to. I've seen grown adults whose kids are uh, already have kids of their own do this process and go through their story work and really begin to connect at the rigidity that they grew up under and then go to their adult children and apologize and say, listen, I am so sorry that when I raised you, I was experiencing these things and I treated you this way. Tell me how I've hurt you. Tell me how I was rigid toward you. And, and those kids open up and begin to be emotional in ways they never thought possible because finally the person that they've always wanted to be intimate with was being vulnerable and very safe with them. Yeah. So, it, you know, connecting this back to the sexual unwanted sexual behavior, <clears throat> if you want to, find out why you're kind of sneaking around and being really secretive about your sexual desires and how you use them. Get curious about rigidity in your life. And, you know, as we've talked about before, naming the way you were harmed by your parents, naming rigidity as part of your family system, that's 70% of the battle. You still need to grieve that. You still need to feel your anger and your sadness, your normal developmental emotions about having your desires pushed down and suppressed and you being taught to repress them and how you ended up fracturing yourself into good Scott and bad Scott and having this really secretive dark side that you still indulge in while you're presenting a veneer of being all good all the time. It's that ability to embrace the complexity of your life and how sometimes our desires are at war. There is a, look, if I'm, if I'm honest with myself, there's a part of me that does like to act out at times. So why is that? And then if I'm honest with myself, there's a part of me that doesn't. So learning to reconcile those two pieces so I can be who I really want to be. And you've got to be able to name how you were harmed. And I've been using this. This is a helpful little tool just to give everybody an idea. If, a lot of guys will say, well, my, 
my mom and dad, they're old, they have Alzheimer's. I can't really engage them around this or they've passed, they, you know, died. And I just kind of stumbled upon this one day with one of the guys uh, we were working with. And I said, well, wait a second, your dad, you believe is in heaven, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I can assure you that your dad in the presence of heaven has no shame. And he has no reservations whatsoever about you naming the way that he harmed you with his rigidity. In fact, he's cheering you on to just name how you were harmed. Could you write a letter from your dad to you, use your creativity, your imagination, and do the repair that he would do if he were here today? Because I guarantee you, he would say, son, I really harmed you, and here's how, and I'm deeply grieved, and I hope you can forgive me. And man, when guys will do that, it is a life-changing experience in the presence of others where they can be witnessed engaging with their father in this imaginary conversation where the repair is actually made. So it's never too late for you to repair with your parents, and it's never too late for you to repair with your children. And doing your own work is the requirement. You've got to be able to engage your story. So here we go, guys. Do the work. Do the work. Whether you're doing the work um, already or whether you need to begin to do the work, that's the challenge for today. What does it mean for you to start doing the work of telling your story around rigidity and many other things so that you can experience the healing that you need? And again, it is an experience. You can tell the stories and, and focus on the particulars, but naming it is the first step. The real healing comes when others can see you and reflect back to you, as Scott has just done with the, with the instance he was talking about, what's really going on and how you can see it and feel it differently. So you don't have to live in that paradigm anymore. So as we continue to push you guys, we would just encourage you to reach out to us. We'd be glad to help you do this work and point you in directions where that can be possible. And if you're curious more about what else is going on in your life and how you can heal, keep listening in for future episodes of this right here on We Got Balls. And you do too. Take care, guys. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.